Welcome to the podcast. My promise to you is that today's episode will be the best episode ever. I'd like to begin with a quote from Douglas Murray. We are in the midst of a war, a cultural war, being waged remorselessly against all the roots of the Western tradition and against everything good that the Western tradition has produced. In his new book, The War on the West, Douglas Murray traces this cultural war back to the 18th century, showing how enlightenment, self-criticism brought forth in the 20th century the ugly fruits of nihilism and Marxism. This was followed in the 21st century by critical race theory, or CRT, and other movements that dismiss Western civilization as tyrannical, evil, and exploitive while celebrating everything non-Western as blameless and morally perfect. Friedrich Nietzsche thought humanity was at a crisis point. This is in the 19th century now. He saw this and predicted the conflicts and the deaths in the 20th century, as well as the nihilism and self-loathing that would grip the modern world. And he was right about all of it. A really fascinating thing to point out, because if he was able to make these predictions, he must be thinking from first principles. So it therefore makes sense to try to better understand the context in which we now find ourselves in to have a, a more sophisticated historical perspective and a moral lens with which we look at the world through. Now, Nietzsche articulates this crisis point by creating the possibility of humanity heading one of two directions. The first being the creation of the Ubermensch, aka the Uberman or the Superman, and it's Nietzsche's ideal human being, you might say. You can think of the Ubermensch as what each of us could be. At the heart of the Ubermensch is the Stoic phrase, amor fa love of fate, a call to affirming life as it is as terrible as it is, as awful, as seemingly unfair. It's an affirmation that allows one to transcend what's good and bad, right and wrong, and find a central point of stillness and peace amidst all of it. The Ubermensch is a being who is able to completely affirm life. Someone who says yes to everything that comes their way, being who sculpts their characteristics and circumstances into a beautiful, empowered, ecstatic whole, an individual who creates more than they consume, who has an artistic and sophisticated aesthetic, who fulfills their ultimate potential to become who they truly are. And it's Nietzsche's solution to nihilism. In contrast to the Ubermensch, Nietzsche highlights what he calls the last man, and this is where humanity is lost in his eyes. It's useful to point out that Nietzsche viewed all morality as a tyranny against nature, in the same way poetry, for instance, is a tyranny against language. Think of the haiku. The haiku is really just three lines totaling 17 syllables. The first line is five syllables, the second line seven, and the third line, five syllables again, just like the first. 
by imposing this rigid structure on language allows one to really just express the beauty that is poetry. It allows one to sculpt language in a particular direction that creates something totally different from what one might otherwise imagine you creating with language. It's, it's a constraint. And through that process of constraining, a type of beauty and a type of elegance emerges from it. Now, Nietzsche saw morality like this too. It's imposing a constraint on our nature, one that allows our nature to express itself in a manner in which is, you might say, extremely unlikely, if not impossible, to express itself without it, just like poetry. And so Nietzsche's concern, in essence, was that one set of value judgments is going to predominate and to be victorious in our culture, and another set of value judgments will be lost. And so, in other words, a particular type of constraining of our nature, one form of morality that imposes itself on our nature will become predominant and another will be lost. And it's in this, this losing of one particular form of morality that he was concerned about. Nietzsche saw two systems of value judgments as forms of morality. The first being master morality and the second slave morality. And you might think, well, cool, Alex, we're now jumping between poetry and this Nietzsche guy who's talking about morality using BDSM terms. Great. Well, I assure you that there's a lot of juicy insights Nietzsche has to offer. So he creates this distinction between two moralities, master morality and slave morality or herd morality. And each of these moralities has a subsequent structure of value judgments associated to them. What I mean by this is when we perceive events out in the world in our lives, we are unconsciously viewing through one of these moralities and their corresponding structure of value judgments. It's like putting on sunglasses with an orange tint, for instance. And after a while, you may not even realize that you have them on. But the moment you take them off, like say you're looking at snow, it at first be, it looks orange and then it begins to just look normal. You can't tell the difference anymore. But the moment you take off these orange tinted glasses, you'll realize that you most definitely are wearing one of these glasses, one of these particular moralities with a particular structure of value judgments. And to Nietzsche, one of these moralities was superior to the other, and you might even say for good reason. Master morality is predicated upon noble, value-creating human beings, life-affirming and value-creating human beings. Nietzsche writes here, slave morality is essentially a morality of utility. Here is the place for the origin of that famous opposition of good and evil. Into evil, one's feelings project power and dangerousness, a certain terribleness, subtlety and strength that does not permit contempt to develop. According to slave morality, those who are evil thus inspire fear. According to master morality, it is precisely those who are good that inspire and wish to inspire fear while the bad are felt to be contemptible. So slave morality is in essence a morality of utility and those who are 
evil inspire fear. According to master morality, it's those who are good that inspire and wish to inspire fear. The bad are felt to be contemptible. To paraphrase all of this, to make it really simple and clear and clean, slave morality is motivated by fear, in part fear of the power of master morality. Slave morality is an attempt to protect itself against the powerful, and it tries to reverse the values. It inverts the natural order of values, in fact, in order to protect themselves against the strong. The slaves call power bad or evil, and they celebrate weakness and servility. Through that inversion of values, they attempt to gain power over the strong. It wants to not suffer. And it's motivated above all by comfortable self-preservation. It wants to organize the world around its fear of suffering. Nietzsche tells us suffering is the condition for growth. And this makes perfect sense. For instance, think of an MMA fighter. A fighter is strong only because they have put themselves through the fires of adversity time and time again. And it's what builds the fighter's will and inner fortitude, the adversity, the suffering that they undergo and willingly confront. Nothing great comes without suffering. In fact, the jewel of spiritual awakening exists within your own suffering. It is through suffering into presence and understanding that we have the possibility of awakening into a more profound understanding of consciousness and what we are at our source. Master morality seeks suffering. Slave morality seeks to avoid suffering. This is a powerful point, and one we know about intuitively, psychologically speaking. We each have had formative experiences throughout our lives, many of whom we haven't fully explored and extracted out the meaning in them. We instead tell ourselves stories about what happened in the past and attach shame or fear to them rather than leverage the power of curiosity to mine the gold within our past, the wisdom that's underneath that shame and fear buried deep, deep down within. And it's in essence being the alchemist and transforming the steaming pile of doo-doo of your past into gold, turning lead to gold. And the juiciest gems lie in the places we wish to look the least, often because we've suffered the most there. On one level, avoiding suffering, you might say, is natural and makes a lot of sense. You might say you'd love to suffer less, or not at all even. You might even wish this for your family and for your children, the sense of, of protecting them from suffering. You certainly would imagine protecting them from suffering unnecessarily. Suffering can be looked at as a form of misery and it creates misery for others. But in practice, avoiding suffering really just makes you weak, fearful. With suffering comes a lesson and behind that lesson is a little nugget of wisdom you can take with you. At the deepest of levels, the suffering we wish to avoid is death. Humans are unlike other animals, aware of our death. And humans suffer greatly in our awareness of death. To live is to suffer, and to survive is to find meaning in the suffering. It's this awareness of death that creates the horizon in which humans try to live and think about meaning in their lives. 
Now, to escape suffering means that you never have to think about death at the most fundamental of levels. And to never think about death requires humans to lack all self-knowledge. It would mean that we'd become animals again. Now, Nietzsche sees in modern culture a whole institutional push to prevent people from ever suffering. Nietzsche thinks the end result of this will be what he calls the last man, where humanity will come to its end. The last man is a de-evolution of humanity. In fact, you could say the last man is no longer human. It's more animal only concerned with basic biological needs, no longer needing to think about anything sophisticated. Master morality, then, is the person who resists this. An individual with the orange-tinted glasses of master morality promotes new values for human beings to remain human. And as Douglas Murray writes, we in the West need to transform our societies from societies of resentment into societies of gratitude, to recognize that what we have is highly unusual and to have some gratitude for that. And if we feel grateful for that, then to add to that inheritance as well. At his core, Nietzsche is defending humanity. His writings are both a warning and guidance on the steps required to bring forth the absolute best version of yourself, given the circumstance we find ourselves in in modern times. He was worried that democratic socialism would make us no longer human, that it will debase us, and his work provides a potent antidote to it. If you feel nihilism is at your doorstep, if you struggle with confidence, if you struggle with anxiety, if you look out into the world and you find it difficult to accept where culture is headed, and you find it hard to accept and to come to terms with the circumstance we now find ourselves in, I have distilled Nietzsche's teachings and have created practical steps that will help you become a better version of yourself. In a sense, I have extracted the essence of what Nietzsche thought would be required to manifest the Ubermensch, and I can put you on that path, and you will see improvements quite rapidly. Reach out, we can get on a call, and we can talk about where you are and what improvements you'd like to see in your life. Until next time, bye-bye.